Well, uh, this is our last Sunday to meet as one service. Um, so we go, to, we go back to our normal schedule next week uh, with two services, one at 9.30, one at 10.45. They're identical. They're an hour long. So when you come back next week, don't feel like I ran everybody off, okay? You're only, you'll only be in half. You know, half, half will be at 9.30. The other half will be at 10.45. You can choose. Now, I, I do want, y'all have done great this summer about sharing your seats, okay? Because I know, you know, this is your seat and your row and you sit here And so uh, chances are, you know, you're going to have your seat next week. But if something happens and somebody sits in your seat, okay, um, we'll we'll settle it one or two ways, okay? You can either, like, you know, do the Jesus thing and offer your seat and go sit someplace else, okay? We'll see how that goes. Or we'll auction off your seat to the highest bidder, okay? Because we're going to start raising money for camp next year. So, uh, but anyway, uh, we're, uh, you know, we continue our series in John, And uh, we've been spending the year looking at the life of Jesus and looking at the life that he calls you and I to as his followers, as his disciples, as his students. The the Greek word is methetes, and there's a word picture that goes with that word, and it's um, it's the picture of a uh, of a student following their teacher so closely that they're literally covered with the dust, the sand of their sandals. And uh, God, Jesus calls us to follow. Him, and so that's what we've been talking about all year long as we've walked through the uh, the book of John. And uh, today's passage you're going to be really excited about uh, is about sin. And everybody's like, "Yay!" Um, but uh, before before we kind of check out, I know we don't really like that word as a as a culture, as a society. You know, we like to refer to it as mistakes or a lapse in judgment, or that was a spring break, or that was a weekend away. But, but we're talking about sin, and it's particularly how Jesus deals with sin at his table, at the, at the table, at, at communion, at the table of mercy is what we call it. And we're going to take communion uh, this morning. And uh, now most of us, we're familiar with Leonardo uh, da Vinci's, almost said DiCaprio, uh, but uh, I, I did actually when I was, you know, kind of rehearsing, but uh, we're all familiar with this painting, right? Uh, we've all seen it uh, in, uh, you know, in our art books or whatever, um, but, uh, you know, in, in this painting, what we have is uh, you have everybody sitting on, you know, one side of the table. And, uh, you know, you, you know, he's got his, you know, uh, Da Vinci has his, uh, uh, models there. And, uh, and I kind of, in my mind think he says, okay, guys, I'm about to start painting and I want you to act surprised. And everybody went, <gasps> and he's like, hold that. Cause everybody's kind of leaning away from Jesus and they're in this defensive posture and with this shocked look on their face. And then I have to hold that for the next 30 days. But, uh, but the real Lord's Supper table didn't look anything like this, okay? First of all, it would be anywhere from 6 inches to 12 inches off of the floor, okay? And uh, there would be pillows surrounding, cushions surrounding the table. And everybody would be around the table, le- reclining at the table. They'd kind of prop themselves up on their elbows with their feet away from the table, and uh, which means that they would, uh, they would be very, very close to one another. And it would also mean that if you were sitting next to a smacker, you would hear it loud and clear. Any, 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 anybody eat with any smackers? 
at their house. Yeah. Um, now, at my house, I'm flanked by a smacker and an ice chomper, okay? And so, uh, I mean, there, there's no such thing as a, a peace and quiet dinner at my house because I got a smacker and I got an ice chomper on either side of me. Uh, but, uh, but so you would be able to hear everything. But if you were at the, the Last Supper, if you were at the Lord's table, it meant that you were close to Jesus and Jesus was close to you. And we're not talking about just being in proximity. Uh, we're also talking relationally. And when we come to the table, Jesus notices things. That's why during, during, the, uh, during the supper, he, you know, Jesus drops you know, three very broad hints that there is a betrayer at the table. And the reason why, is when, when we come to the table, Jesus doesn't, he doesn't overlook, he doesn't ignore our sin, but he wants to deal with it. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning is how does Jesus deal with our sin at the, at the table? And so there's very two important truths we're going to see in today's passage as we use these truths to prepare and ready our hearts um, to participate in the table this morning. Let me just give you these two points up front, and then we'll, we'll unpack them as we go on. The first point is this, is that sin is a betrayal of Jesus is that sin is a betrayal of Jesus. And then secondly, that Jesus loves to melt the hearts of betrayers at his table. He loves to melt the hearts. And that's the good news this morning. So if you have your Bibles, uh, I invite you to turn to John chapter 13. If you didn't bring your Bibles, we're going to put it up on the screen or you can pull it up on your phone. John chapter 13, we started this chapter last week. And uh, we, we looked at the story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And uh, he had, you know, this is his last meal, his last dinner, his last teaching opportunity with his disciples. And so he chooses to teach this very important lesson. And the way he does it is he removes his outer garment. He, he takes on the role of the lowest of lowest of servants. And he washes the disciples' feet to show them, this is how much I love you. And this is how I want you to go and love other people. And the leadership role that we talked about, the leadership point of that is what are you and I going to do when we find ourselves the most powerful person in the room? Are we going to leverage our position and our power for our sake or for the sake of others? And that's what we saw Jesus do all throughout his ministry, but especially at that night in the Lord's, at, the, at his last supper. So John chapter 13, let's talk about what it means that sin is a, betray, is a betrayal of Jesus. Let's start in verse 18. So Jesus is talking here, and, he, and he's gathered with his disciples celebrating this Passover meal. And, and this Passover festival was a Jewish festival, a holiday that they would celebrate every year. And it, it would remind them, it would go all the way back to where God had led the people of Israel out of Egyptian slavery. And uh, God told them to mark this and to, and to celebrate this moment all throughout their history. And every year they would do that. And so that's what they're doing. And Jesus says, I am not referring to all of you. I know those who I have chosen, but this is to fulfill the passage of Scripture. He who shared my bread is turned against me. And, and Jesus is quoting Psalm 41.9 there, okay? And he goes on, he says, I'm telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. And very truly, I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me 
accepts the one who sent me. Verse 21. And after he said this, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. Underline that word betray. So, so in the Greek, this word betray, it means to deliver. Okay, It means to deliver. It means to get something off of your hands, uh, to, to get rid of our obligations. And to de- betray someone means that uh, we're going to remove their influence and their power from us. And so a be- betrayal, betray means to deliver. And Judas felt like Jesus' claims to be king were, were too dangerous, okay? That, that Jesus' claims to be king were too dangerous. And maybe, may, maybe he thought that Jesus' claims were too dangerous for, for himself socially. Um, maybe, maybe he felt like they were too, too dangerous for him politically. I mean, Jesus made all kinds of crazy claims. He claimed that he was the king of the universe. He claimed that he was the judge over heaven and earth. He claimed that he was the, the son of God. And maybe Judas thought these claims were a little too far out there and they wouldn't allow him to gain or acquire that status that Judas sought after. Or maybe, maybe Judas was offended that Jesus' personal claims of authority over everyone's life. So you go back, go back to verse 13. Um, Jesus says, you call me teacher, capital T, and Lord, capital L, and rightly so, for that is who I am. And maybe Judas was wrestling with that statement. And I think it would be right and correct that you and I should wrestle with that statement. That Jesus says, you call me teacher with the capital T and the Lord with the capital L. And what that means is that teacher is, he's not just any teacher. He's not just a teacher, but he is the teacher. He is the one that I get my absolute truth from. And see, we live in a culture that says there is no such thing as absolute truth because what's true for you may not be true for for you. And Judas, he's probably wrestling with that. Jesus says, you call me Lord, and that's who I am with the capital L. And that means that not only do we go to him for absolute truth, but he has absolute authority over our lives. And Judas is probably wrestling with this statement as we all should. And he's thinking, you know, it's one thing for Jesus to be a teacher, but the teacher with capital T and be my lone source of absolute truth. I don't know. Or, or to wrestle with the fact that, you know, Jesus says that he's Lord, meaning that he has authority over everything in my life. Judas is probably wrestling with that. And he betrays Jesus by removing the influence and the authority that Jesus had over his life. That he discarded the, the, the truth and, and, and the authority and the power of Jesus from his life. Now, the Bible says that the essence, the essence of sin is for you and I to say to God, I don't need you. And not only do I not need you, I don't want you. I don't want you telling me what to do. I want to save. I want to reserve. I want to hold on to the right to call my own shots and do what I feel like I want to do. So you can, you know, and the essence of sin is going to God and saying, okay, you can be a teacher, but you're not going to be the teacher with a capital T. You can be a consultant. You can be a helper. You know, you can be there when I need you. But other than that, you back off, pal, because this is my life and I'm going to live it the way I want. That's the essence of sin. 
Sin is determining that we will be in control of our own lives. And the natural tendency, I don't know about your heart, but the natural tendency of my heart is to betray Jesus with different areas of my life. To say, Jesus, you can have authority over this area, but you can't have authority over that area. And to remove his, Jesus' power and truth and authority over us so that we can be in control is the essence of sin. But if we realize, and we have the opportunity this morning to realize that, that we have been betraying him, before we get to, okay, Preacher, what changes do I need to make? What do I need to stop doing? What do I need to start doing? All, they're fine questions, but they're not the most important question. But this morning, can we just be honest enough with ourselves and honest enough with God? And can we ask God to show us just how much he loves us and how trustworthy we are? Because see, here's what religion has told us our entire lives is we hear something like this and religion says we don't measure up and we need to start modifying our behavior and racking up all these accomplishments so that God will be more happy with us. But Christianity says, I've already done everything for you through the death, through the life, the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so it's good for us to be reading in, in the word and to come to a part like this and to examine our own hearts and not start with the question of what do I have to do? But to start with the question of God, would you just show me how much you love me? Because when we realize how intensely and, and the depth of God's love for us, then that will change our motivation that will that will bring about that will bring about true change from the inside out and it'll all be motivated out of gratitude for how much he loves us so i know this is gonna be a little odd and and we've already prayed but i'd just like to take a moment just to pray for us and just to pray that prayer god would you show us how much you love us would you just pray with me father god thank you for your love for us. And I pray in this moment that we will be captivated by just how deep and how wide and how long and how high your love is for us. Father, this morning I pray that our, that our eyes would not just wander to the cross, but also our hearts and our minds would wander to the cross, that we would glance at the cross and it'd be a reminder of just how much you love us. And Father, out of the overflow of that, we would know how trustworthy you are and how safe you are, and that you want what's best for us. So, Father, just show us this morning. Show us every day, first thing in the morning, how much you love us. And we pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. So sin is the betrayal of Jesus, which brings us to our second point, is Jesus loves to melt the hearts of betrayers. <clears throat> so we have a betrayer. At the table, what, what, is, what does Jesus do with this betrayer? Look at verse 21. <clears throat> it says, after <clears throat> he said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit. Very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. And his disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which one of them he meant. So you've seen this happen in a movie, right? Uh, the movie's building, the scene is building, and all of a sudden this big truth is dropped 
on, you know, on whoever is there in the scene and the cameras go real close to the actors' faces and they start kind of looking around at each other, you know, and you hear the music in the background, dun, 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 right? Okay, say that with me, dun, dun, dun. Okay, here we go. So the scene is set. So Jesus says, he says, his disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which one of them he meant. There you go. That's how it went down. He says, and one of them, and this is great. This is John, okay? One of them, he couldn't just say I. He said, one of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, okay? In other words, we saw this on Easter in John chapter 20, that, that John just can't say, hey, it's me, John. He's got to remind everybody, hey, Jesus may have liked you guys, but he loved me. He may have been tight with you guys, but he was close with me, all right? In fact, in John chapter 20, remember, John says that, um, that the one that Jesus loved the most outran Peter to the empty tomb. You know, he couldn't just say, hey, I outran Peter. He goes, no, no, got to remind you guys, I was Jesus' favorite. He says, one of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved... And just in case you didn't know where he was, was reclining next to Jesus. So I'm the one closest to Jesus. And Simon Peter, poor Simon, poor, he's probably at the kids' table. All right. (laughs) Simon Peter motioned to this disciple. Couldn't say just motion to me. No, no. Motion to this disciple. I'm surprised he said motion to this disciple who was Jesus' favorite sitting right next to him. Motioned to this disciple and said, ask him which one he means. So, okay, so we're all, we're reclining around the table, very close to one another. Okay, they overhear Jesus say something. And Peter's like, John, 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 ask him, ask him who he means. John's like, what? Ask him who he means. Okay, okay. Hey, Jesus, Peter thinks you smell like beans. (laughs) And Peter's like, no, it's not what I said. And then the very first game of telephone happened. (laughs) Peter turns to Matthew, ask him who he means, pass it down. Matthew turns to James, ask him who he means, pass it down. James turns to uh, uh, John and says, ask him who he means. And John turns to Jesus and says, Peter thinks you're mean. (laughs) I mean, you're just sabotaging Peter, right? No, that's not what happened. He says, ask him who he means. And leaning back against Jesus, because hello, I'm that close. He asked him, Lord, who is it? Just you and me, who is it? Right? And Jesus answered, is the, it is the one whom I give this piece of bread when I've dipped it in the dish. And then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And as soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered him. And so Jesus told him, what you're about to do, do it quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him, since Judas had Uh, had charge of the money. Some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. And as soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. 
See, we have Judas the betrayer at the table. And notice that, you know, Jesus doesn't stand up with his cup and, you know, bang his spoon on the, on the glass and say, <clears throat> guys, I got, I, got, I got an announcement to make. We got a betrayer among us. You know, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't say, hey, guys, hey, guys, hey, guess what Judas is about to do? He doesn't do any of that. But Jesus, he, he doesn't want to embarrass Judas. And he, he keeps bringing it up and he gives Judas some, some bread. And, and no one at the table knew who the traitor was. And so why is Jesus being so discreet? And the reason why is Jesus is not trying to shatter Judas, but Jesus is trying to melt his heart. He's not trying to condemn Judas. He's trying to convert Judas. He's trying to get Judas to understand what this meal means what it symbolizes, and what Jesus is about to do, not only for Judas, but every single one of us. And Jesus is saying, Judas, I see you, and I love you. It's kind of like when you play um, maybe checkers or chess with a little kid. Now, when I do that, I get beat, but, but when you do it, like when you're playing checkers or chess with a little kid and they make a move and you say, oh, you sure you want to do that? You, you sure you want to move your piece right there? Because do you see where my pieces are? Because if you make that move, I'm going to make this move and you're going to lose. So are you really sure you want to do that? And Jesus, he's not kicking the betrayers out. He's not treating Judas like we treat Jesus. But he's saying to him and he's saying to us, I see you and I love you. And that's what the Passover meal is all about. That once and for all, Jesus will be the perfect and final sacrifice for our sins. And it's through his broken body and his, his spilled blood that we have forgiveness of sin and we have eternal life. And so today as we take communion, that's the point that we would see who Jesus is and what he's done for us.